Hello. That was way too serious. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> My face. I was like, you look like I scolded you or something. <laughs> well, because that's how it sounded. You were like, "Hello," and I was like, "Okay, officer." Um, um, all right. Well, anyway, uh, I'm Scotty Mother. Wait. Yes, I'm Amelia Ampuero. This is the weirdest thing podcast, and we are your hosts. And I'm laughing because over the summer, the porch at the Barter Inn, which was the actor housing, had these like mm. really, really like way too bright lights. Like, mm. and they were like, like bright lights, kind of. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to my buddy <laughs> Sam about it at one point because back in my day, the porch was very poorly lit so you could get up to all <laughs> kinds of shenanigans on that porch um and my buddy sam said yeah right now the porch has a real what seems to be the problem officer quality about it and it made me laugh so hard okay all yeah. right so the uh yeah, I have like a weird like floodlight in my backyard because mm-hmm. um, I just have never changed the bulb out. And uh, yeah, whenever I like let Bowie in at night, and, like when I turn the light on, it just stops and like stares at me like I caught her doing something. <laughs> I have lights like that in my home because not to make my mom nervous and not to get like too into it, but because I have a sort of weird setup at my mm-hmm. house. And so the like front lights are full blast like they're they're very bright at your they're house, real so. bright the first time i put them in and i turned them on i was like ah i'm gonna get a fucking letter from the hoa god damn it but i haven't yet so yeah you know well all right hi everybody hello <laughs> so obviously we're we're in the midst of holiday season because we're yes. both punchy as fuck it sounds mm-hmm. like so. yes absolutely so uh we're we're doing another movie movie episode another yes. another holiday movie episode yes sort but of, not sort of holiday not christmas right there are so many christmas movies yeah yeah we could do just like christmas movies every year for eternity but yeah we kind of thought this year like why don't we like focus on some and i'm gonna say we'll get into it but i'm gonna say holiday season movies rather than like specific holiday movies like these are the movies that like you watch during the season that may or may not be associated with the holiday but that are not christmas movies right Um, right yeah these are the Yeah, these are the you you might throw these on, you know, to mm-hmm. watch. I think a, a little bit like Die Hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're in like, yes, Die Hard takes place during <laughs> Christmas, but like, is it a Christmas movie? I mean, right, we've definitively right. answered that question. Like, yes. <laughs> but it's not like about the holiday spirit and Santa right. and falling in love at a Christmas tree lot and that stuff. Right. So yeah. like my my pick for this week is I think a little more holiday specific, but not that much more. And then yours kind of isn't, but we'll talk about how, right. how I it think, is or is not. I think mine is going to be the die hard of the particular holiday that I think it it 
uh, right. sort of references. Yeah. It doesn't reference it, but you know, represents. I'll say that. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So the movie starts. Just go and name the movies. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the show notes. So we're not. No yeah. I don't know why we're acting like spoiler brother. alert. No, I picked um, the movie in American Tale, which uh, I it think is, is surprising for you. I mean, I understand why you did it, but we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, but it's like the thing about the American uh the American and American t- is it an American tale? It's an it's American tale. tale. Yeah. Um the thing about that movie is and if you guys we'll get into it, but it's the mouse movie. Um <laughs> it's become like a Hanukkah tradition for a lot of Jewish families. Mm-hmm. Um that it's like the way that like some people will watch a Christmas story or what a wonderful world or whatever or it's a wonderful life. Whatever. Not I don't know Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful world or oh what a world or something with world. That was funny. Okay. Uh but yeah, it, like this movie is kind of like, you know, a lot of like or at least I've been led to believe that a lot of like little Jewish kids will sit and watch an American tale for Hanukkah. So I thought there's not a lot of Hanukkah movies out there. This is the movie I have seen. It's been mm-hmm. probably 35 years since I've seen it. Yeah. Same. And uh so yeah, so that's the the one I picked. And then you picked. I picked Knives Out, which is, uh, like I said, I think quickly becoming the uh, diehard of Thanksgiving. It does not revolve around Thanksgiving. It does not take place at Thanksgiving. And yet really it sort of feels like feels to me. real Thanksgiving. Real Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even like the opening shot of like the leaves, the dead leaves on the Yeah, lawn, it's you know. very, it's very autumnal without mm-hmm. being Halloween-y at all, which I yeah, don't know. That's, that's, I don't know how they were able to do that, but. That's a good point. That, that. Particularly being that it's like about murder and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. So I, anyway, I was going to say, I think we should do Knives Out second. Okay. Because I think we're both going to have nicer things to say about Knives Out. Um, <laughs> I don't know where you're at with an, an American tale, but um, I feel like Knives Out's going to be the favorite of this episode. Okay. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> do we want to dive in? I mean, I've yeah. sort of tipped my hand a little, I guess. But what did yeah. you think of an American tale? I mean, it's one of it's one of those movies that I just have a spot, a soft spot for because, mm-hmm. you know, I watched it growing up and, you know, there's there's some iconic imagery uh, mm-hmm. when I was watching it again that I was like, oh, my God, fucking five all and his little, <laughs> you know, and him like in that little floating bed when he sings somewhere out there with his sister and mm-hmm. and and all that stuff. And, you know, what year did an American tale come out? 86. Okay. Which was also kind of along the time when Disney was entering sort of its golden age, right? Well, no, actually. So American Tale, which is not a Disney movie. It's it Don is Bluth. not. And Don Bluth, uh, for those of you guys who don't know the name, he he's known for, he did a lot of like the non-Disney animated movies from that time. He did The Secret yeah. of Nim. He did. Uh, which uh, I, look, I could go on for days about I mean, we should we should do a whole episode about that movie oh absolutely that's great great uh, great book uh yeah it really is a great book um he also did the land before time he did all dogs go to heaven like yes so he did a lot of these movies and and american tale kind of fell in the middle of all that and this was actually like i was doing a little bit of reading about it just sort of the time period and beforehand and this was i always forget that like disney had this like dead period in the 80s kind of like they had the black cauldron apparently was just like a total financial loss for them which is surprising Mm -hmm. that's like one of the better disney movies i think but 
that. Yeah, but I think like when you look at it, I think stacked up against what else was coming out, it's dark. It's kind of weird. Well, that's, I mean, it's that whole, but that was like that era because it was like the era of like the Dark Crystal and the Neverending Story and all these like weird dark kids movies. And but those were all live action. I think there was something about animated that, that uh, just that's, didn't. That's that's a good point. Well, that action. was, you know, that was, I know, one of the critiques of, I mean, we're off topic already, but as <laughs> one of the critiques of The Secret of Nim was that it was too dark for kids, you know? Which Secret I it's yeah. pretty dark. <laughs> it's dark. It's yeah. it's very adorable and very dark um, mm. and very creepy and deals with like, I mean, kind of like, again, like eugenics and mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting to go back and watch an American tale with like a 2022 lens, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into, but okay. Disney dead period of the late 80s. Yeah, it was kind of like between the black cauldron and uh, you know, they had their like revitalization with like the little mermaid, which I don't remember what that was what, like 88, 89, something. Like I'm that. looking it up right now. But so you had like Ralph Bakshi doing his like Lord of the Rings things. Um, You, know, you had Don Bluth out there doing stuff. So he was kind of like Don Bluth was kind of the big animator. I think who was not, part of the like disney thing mm-hmm. and he and he mm-hmm. definitely had his own style like if you watch an american tale it's like the animation feels very of a piece with the secret of Nim, you know yeah. with, with the rodents and stuff very much so a uh, little mermaid came out in 89 so 89. we we were we were ramping up to the golden yeah age. we're yeah exactly but i think 86 was like a pretty like dead time for disney yeah um i remember when an american so here's my history as a little jewish kid with an american tale is that it actually was not a super holiday tradition for me mm-hmm. i saw it at the time i remember being like oh that, that, that mouse is jewish like i remember like clocking that mm-hmm. and thinking that was kind of cool but i didn't think that deeply about it i think i saw it probably once in the theater maybe once or twice after and then i have not seen it probably since like 87 88 so i did not really remember it that well yeah i was really curious to go back and watch it with like knowing that it has in the year since become this kind of hanukkah tradition to see how it sat with me and i will say like it's a kind of a weird fucking movie and i'm not i'm not 100 sure how i feel about it i'm with you and that there's a lot of stuff that i feel like i just have like general affection for like i forgot that the song somewhere out there is from this movie oh yeah so when they start when they went into that i was like oh I, yeah i remember this i and know like, the song yeah fucking dom de is tiger the cat i totally remembered him like Fantastic. so there's great elements of the movie but i i definitely had like i had a weird experience watching it so i want to hear a little bit more though about like just how it was for you watching it again yeah yeah i think kind of the same thing where i was like oh like i feel like it has a lot going on for a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of... Su- okay, so real fast, I guess we should do a very brief synopsis of An American sure. Tale for anybody who is not familiar. It centers the Mouskowitz family. Fival is the lead. He's a teeny little... He's not a baby mouse, but he's he's a little baby mouse. He's a little, um, he's a little, boy, a little boy mouse. Yeah, a little kiddo. And his family, they are Russian Jewish mice. Mice. Mm-hmm. And they're in their little village in Russia. 
when the what are they called cossacks is that what they're called yeah i mean they're cats in the movie but right. obviously cossacks yeah and they yeah. come and they decide okay we better get out of here um and papa mousekowitz is constantly being like there are no cats in america there are no cats in mm-hmm. america and 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 it's wonderful there and you can do all this stuff and they decide after that raid happens that they need to immigrate to the united states yeah that might be it's basically like i'd forgotten about that then it's basically a pogrom yeah Here's a kids movie with a pogrom in it. Like that's the thing about yeah. the eighties. It's like I always say, like Dark Crystal is a kids movie about genocide. Like only in the eighties do you have stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> yes, and so they hop on a ship, a tramp steamer, to come to the U.S. And Fivel gets like washed away during a storm. Uh, which the animation for the storm is pretty cool because the yeah. the, the ocean is like anthropomorphized. Um, as the mm. sort of like demon devil thing that's like smashing the ship. Yeah, the, each wave is like this devil that comes up. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Fievel gets washed away and ends up finding a, a bottle. I guess <laughs> it just and, like ends up in it. Yeah, yeah, and floats to the shores of America in this glass bottle. His family, the rest of his family, which is his mother, his father, his baby sibling. I don't know if we ever found out what mm-hmm. the baby sibling is but it's a baby like a babe in arms baby mm-hmm. and his older sister tilly um it's not clear if she's older or younger but they seem like they're kind of in the same age range she's probably yeah. a little older maybe. yeah she seems like a teensy bit older so mm-hmm. papa mama baby and tilly mouskowitz also make it to the u.s on this tramp steamer and they go through the processing and the little like mouse version of ellis island Mm-hmm. Um, which is a heartbreaking scene in of itself. And then basically mm-hmm. the rest of the movie is Fievel learning about America and trying to be reunited with his family, which spoiler mm-hmm. alert, he eventually is reunited with his family right. at the end. <laughs> yeah. This movie wasn't such a dick that it was like, not gonna do that. <laughs> right. And now he's an orphan. Um, right. okay. So that's the, that's the synopsis and like the briefest of mm. nutshells. Um, it also stars a whole bunch of great people. Like you mentioned, Dom DeLuise, Christopher Plummer, who's the common mm. thread that we have between this and Knives Out, the late great Madeline Kahn. Underused, I think, in this movie. Uh, absolutely underused. And then a, cra- yeah, a whole, a whole wacky cast of characters, mice, cats, pigeons, mm-hmm. you know, all that good stuff. And mm-hmm. basically, I think at the core, an American tale is a story about immigration. Yeah, no, it's 100%. It's an immigrant story. And what was interesting is, I mean, it's very, it's it's focused on the Mouskowitz family and mm-hmm. Fievel, and they are very coded as Jewish to the point where you see like a little like headstone for five when they think he's dead and it's got um Hebrew writing on it mm-hmm. um and you know the the Hanukkah connection even though I don't think it's explicitly said but at the very beginning when they're back in Russia and Papa is giving them presents it's like I think it's pretty clearly meant to be Hanukkah yes yeah um, I, I I agree and then you know and and it is it's like not subtle the immigration parable is not subtle at all it's like the cats are the anti-Semite, anti-Semites, like the classics, right. you know? Right. And then yeah. once you get to America, the cats are the kind of the gangs in New York, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like thugs that are like kind of exploiting the new immigrants. And then you have like, when they're on the tramp steamer on the way over, you know, you're meeting all these different like immigrants who are all piled in. You have a little like leprechaun Irish mouse and a little like <laughs> Italian mouse who's very expressive. <laughs> and, you know, like it's, um, <laughs> it's, 
it's yeah, it's not hiding what it's trying to say at all. No, absolutely, absolutely not. And is you know, and again, I think this is actually a theme that both movies share is actually mm-hmm. like a pretty a pretty intense condemnation of maybe not America, but Americans. Like it's well, certainly of like nativists, you know. Yes. And, and then again, that's the cats. But also it's like you see the, you know, this five all and all these other immigrants, they end up in America, these little immigrant mice, and they're mm-hmm. essentially in slums and they're being like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, oppressed essentially. Right. Um, and, well, you, and you see the class structure. And, right. Know. And when what's her face? Oh, I don't remember what her name is. The little Irish mouse who's like mouse. Bridget, is that what it is? I don't know. Well, her, she goes and she takes, uh, she takes Fivel to meet Honest John. Honest right? John, right. Yeah. And is like, can you, who's a politician, essentially. He's like trying to become like he's, the mayor of Mousetown or whatever. He, he's basically like boss tweed. You know? Right. Right. And, you know, she's like, can you help him? And he was like, are his parents registered to vote? And it's just like, oh, my God, like, I mean, this is a, this is a <laughs> child mouse and he needs help. And you're fucking trying to figure out well, what his I, what he can do for you. I love when we meet Honest John. He's literally got the corpse of a dead mouse on his table. And he's like, oh, was he a voter? He is now. And he writes yeah. his name like Mickey yeah. O'Rourke. And yeah. it's just like, this is a kid's movie. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So there's all that. I'm trying to see what is her name. I guess it is Bridget. Yeah. I don't I know why it... I'm remembering Bridget, but yeah, I guess it is Bridget. Uh, I guess she's the little like Irish, the Irish little, teenage like, mouse. Yeah. The little like Emma Goldman mouse. I was going to say Norma Ray mouse, but same. Yeah. <laughs> same idea. <laughs> same. Yeah. Same concept. Yeah. There was a lot of like really. So it's interesting, right? Because. I don't know that there's a lot of like really scary stuff in this movie, but watching it now, there's a lot of like really bleak stuff mm-hmm. in it. Uh, you know, like we're seeing with this politician, like we're seeing, you know, what happens with Warren T. Rat, and, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing of like trying to get Five All back to to his family. Well, I think it plays both sides of the American dream coin actually really well because mm-hmm. you know, you have you have the pigeon, right? Henri, uh who is who is voiced mm-hmm. by the late great Christopher Plummer, who's this like French pigeon who's like <laughs> welcomes and he's you know, he's calling yeah. Five my little immigrant and he like helps him out and he like mm-hmm. like gives him a bath and like dries his clothes and stuff like, like it's all nice very, little pep talk yeah. like never say never yeah. yeah and it's all you know and he he now granted there's some you know definitely some capitalistic overtones in that song because he's like dream big and just work hard and like everything mm. can be yours <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. very, again, very like immigrant mindset, very like American dream. And it's interesting, I think, to see how this was sort of, like I said, how both sides of the American dream coin were sort of played out in this movie. Well, yeah, because I I don't think it's like a particular condemnation of America. I mean, obviously, we're thinking like super deep about this kids movie, but I, I think the movie kind of like it's it was kind of thinking sort of deep about these things, you know, presenting them so. in a package that like kids aren't going to get all of this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I, I agree with the idea that it, to a degree, it, it's condemning at least some Americans, but mm-hmm. it's, I don't think it's condemning America. In fact, I think it's really showing 
it, it's like a, it's like kind of a, a love letter to like the vibrancy of immigrant communities and and of the idea of the melting pot. Yes, because once he's in America, they're not all Jewish mice. You know, no, you got, no, not at all. Like you said, you got Bridget, you got Philly, who's I think, or not Philly. He calls him Philly. Who's the Tony? Tony. Um, who is clearly like he's Tony to pony, right? <laughs> he's like the John Travolta from like Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah, character. he's very clearly like second, third, fourth gen Italian mouse. Yeah, you know, it could be like Tony Danza, like he's yeah. Tony Danza or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you've um, got Gussie Mausheimer, who uh, is voiced by Madeline Kahn, who I, she feels very like Mrs. Astor. She feels very mm-hmm. like old money in power. Like old money New York. She's supposed to be German, you know, which. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's and like, that's where I say, like, unfortunately, like, I think uh, Madeline Kahn was underused because she's like, how do you have Madeline Kahn in your singing mouse movie and like, you know, not have her be the star you know yeah that's just like me fanboying over madeline cons yeah i mean (laughs) Um, obviously always right (laughs) but like yeah and and like and even you know like it expands the melting pot to include at least one of the cats where it's just like no matter who you were before you can be part of this vibrant new community and and it's not like a utopian look at this like you know, it ends, Five will still ends up in like Orphan Town at the end, right before right. he's found by his dad. Right. So it's not a like utopian view of this immigrant experience, but it's kind of like you said, it's showing both sides of the coin where it's like there's some real dark stuff and like you said, bleak stuff in there, but it's it's all pretty nicely balanced with a more hopeful like it's sort of it's a good example i think of why oftentimes when you talk to like first generation immigrants they they can often be the most pro-american people you talk to because they're often coming from places where it's like you don't want any part of what we came from right right and i think about the the pogrom at the beginning of this it's like that even even the cats in america they're they're never as bad as those caustic cats who are burning them out at the beginning right right yeah no and i i agree with that when in what you're saying about like in terms of immigrants sometimes being uh the most patriotic because you're right there's a lot that Mm -hmm. um you know may not be perfect about this country and also like you and i can have a podcast where we can clearly say that on our Mm -hmm. podcast and the caustic cats will not be coming for us meanwhile in china they're literally protesting by holding up blank signs because they're not allowed to say anything right right so yeah, you know, we're, you know, it's not, it's not that, it's not Iran. It's, it's not, you know, <laughs> exactly, it's not that. So th- those are like the things I really like about the movie. I-, I think my reaction to the movie was like I have no gripes. I mean, I think maybe it leans a little too heavily into ethnic stereotypes in the way that things in the '80s often do. <laughs> yeah, somewhat with the Mouskowitzes, but more I'm thinking of again, like Tony Bridget, you know, the the leprechaun mouse on the. Yeah. on the steamship like it's just like let's code him as irish by putting him all in green with like big floppy red ears right know? right yeah but, okay. and 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 at the same time like like i said i think that there's some very like you know there's some very touching like immigrant experience stuff i sure. yeah. um you know i was talking about when they go to the little mouse ellis island and they're checking in and you know the guy says the little clerk says how many or he goes family mouse goets how many 
and Papa goes five and then he stops himself and he he goes four and his eyes start his eyes like mm-hmm. fill with tears and he like blinks them away and as they're walking away I guess her name is actually Tanya but they rename her Tilly at the little mouse mm-hmm. Ellis Island and you just hear her voice go Papa why did that man call me Tilly and like Papa is just like Right. <laughs> well, and then you get, I had to and then, pause at that moment. I was like, "Well, because right before that, and the thing is that that happened in my family. Like on my uh, dad's and my my grandmother's family, they were the Berkowitzes, and when they came to Ellis Island, they became the Burks. Yeah, because the clerk just didn't want to write down all those. He was letters. like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 right, whoa." And yeah. so you get that with like I think the family before them, where they're like, "What's your name?" And it's some long Russian sounding name. He's like, "Okay, mm-hmm. Smith." And I think, I think that's actually a human. And then you like pound down, pound down to the little like mouse line, you know, but there's that there's also, um, and I 100% leave room for the fact that I am like absolutely projecting stuff onto this, but there's also, you know, back at the beginning when they're in the pogrom or whatever, and they're like celebrating Hanukkah and Papa Gibbs Fievel the hat and he, and Fievel's like a hat. And he's like, yes, this is a special hat. It's been in the family for three generations. It was my hat and it was my papa's hat before that. And it was his papa's hat before that. And like, he puts it on five all and it's like too big. And I was like, oh my God. Like, the, like, like, the fucking... mama was like you'll grow. You'll grow. Yeah. And the thing yeah. of like, you know, this mantle that like, you're never, you know, as like a first gen, like you're never going to be able to fill. And like, you're mm-hmm. never going to be able to live up to the expectations of your immigrant parents because mm-hmm. how, like, what could you? do that would make their sacrifice worthy and like mm-hmm. and i was just like well yeah i, I mean that ah! yeah and i can see like for for you just with you know because you are you know your parents are from bolivia so it's like mm-hmm. you know you you have that much closer to the immigrant experience than like say i do in my family yeah. I'm several generations removed you know? yeah and i think it's also like it's it's i was talking to somebody about it today actually as well that like it is to me a very beautiful thing that like all like the immigrant experience, there is so much overlap and universality to the immigrant experience, whether you Mm -hmm. are immigrating to this country from Russia or, you know, India or Latin America, or, you know, if like any of those things, there's so much overlap in, Mm -hmm. in that experience and so much overlap for those of us who are first gen Mm-hmm. Yeah, that to me, that's kind of like a beautiful, a beautiful thing that it's like, oh, all of our parents are like that. Yeah, well, and and the, and the movie really, I think, does like capture that really well. And like, yeah, um, and other things like, like, there's a lot I appreciated about the movie. One thing I just like about it is like, again, thinking back to being a Jewish story. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, you know, I'm not gonna argue that there's any shortage of Jewish theme stories that come out of Hollywood, but they're, we're generally telling a couple. Like there's two or three stories that you hear. You get the very much we've been steeped in Holocaust films yeah. and the Holocaust narrative, mm-hmm. um, or you get the modern, you know, like my gripe about the the modern Jew depiction, like the Woody Allen, or, you know, the right. dorky teenager or whatever. One story I don't think we actually get very much, and and you can broaden it out to beyond a Jewish story, but is the story of like, you know, it's not like 
the Nazis invented anti-Semitism with the Holocaust. It was happening. Like there are reasons why there are waves of Jewish immigrants coming here in the 1800s, which is what this movie is about. And, you know, so like, that's my family history. You know, most, most of my family came over to escape pogroms right um, in like the late 18 early 1900s you know and so like seeing that addressed is just not a story that we hear that often you know right yeah you don't get that out of out of hollywood you know there's you get the holocaust narrative but that's that's like the end of i don't want to say it's the obviously not the end of anti-semitism but it's like the end of that arc of about 100 years of european anti-semitism that incorporated the pogroms and the passion plays and things that kind of like built to the holocaust you know right yeah and i mean i think it's always interesting to see you know it's something that you know people in the black community have also said too that it's like we don't just want to see tragedy porn about slavery right we don't just want to see movies about the civil rights like we want like mm-hmm. we are whole and complex human beings outside right. of these two very big I, don't, I can't even like call them events, but these two very, very like big things. And it mm-hmm. would be nice to see. And so I do think that that's, that's an interesting aspect of an American tale is that it's like, it is another Jewish story outside mm-hmm. of the the very saturated yeah holocaust underst- themed understandably so i mean it's one of the most like defining events of the 20th century but it is nice to get something that is outside of that you know yeah. And, yeah. and like i said a lot of if you know a lot of jewish families in the u.s our family history is going to go back to the 1800s yeah, yeah. It's, it's not or our family history in, in the u.s is going to go back to like the turn of the century it's, it's pre-world war ii and so like i don't know that was just you know i grew up knowing that bit of my family history so to see it kind of reflected in a movie like i'd forgotten that this movie got into it i yeah. i here's what i didn't like about the movie. okay <laughs> and like and and these are going to be like these are just aesthetic things okay but like i don't have any like i'm not gonna like this movie hates jews or something like right. that's not that's not what i'm doing it's right i i found it kind of irritating and, and I was trying, I was thinking about it all day today about what it was, because there's a lot that I liked about it. And then there are these moments that I just found grating. And what it is, is like a lot of the humor doesn't work. It's like, maybe we're just too sophisticated with like Pixar movies are so well done now and stuff mm. that like the tonal shifts between the dark and the funny Mm-hmm. Are so jarring in American Tale that you're just, you're just. I felt like I was just lurching through a lot of the movie. Yeah, I feel like an American Tale does what I think Disney has really been able to steer away from, which mm-hmm. is they were trying to do what they thought kids think would be funny, and yeah, and it's not that it's like toilet humor or anything like that it's just that it's like this it's is like this cringy like awkward humor like yeah it's it's like it's like when watching like an old man try to like amuse like a five-year-old and the five-year-old's just like what are you doing you know? yeah like huh it, that's I, that, and that's what it felt like to me was that it's like mm-hmm. kids will think this is funny and it's like do they though Right. Like, <laughs> well, and it'd be like you, you'd have five old, like one, literally, it'd be like one second he's crying, like, I'll never find my family. I'll never see them again. And two mm-hmm. seconds later, he's like singing with a pigeon and like, we're going to be friends forever. Right. You know? And it's just like, I, I wanted it to like smooth out those transitions, those tonal transions rather than just kind of like, oh, here's, okay, time for the funny song. All right, right. Here we go. 
Yeah. Like, I think for me, the only humor that actually worked in the movie, and it's way too short, is Dom DeLuise's Tiger. Oh, yeah. He's a good time. He's always a good time. Yeah. Like, he was such, when he finally comes into the movie, he's such a breath of fresh air. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, there's, for me, there were two, again, if we're going to critique an American tale as like a piece of film, um, mm -hmm. there was too much going on. Like if you just left it at, here's an orphan mouse, right? Like here's a mouse who has been separated from his family as they immigrate to the United States. They've all landed in New York and they just need to make their way back to each other. Mm -hmm. But it was just, it was like, that's all you needed, but there was all of this other well, it's trying to like in there. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's trying to get into the, like the labor strife and like, and it's just like, that's, that's a lot for one. It was a me. lot. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I, 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 I wonder if, you know, and again, I think about, let's compare it to another rodent movie, which is Ratatouille. And then mm-hmm. like, rat, rat, okay, real talk. I think Ratatouille is one of the best movies ever. Oh, it's, it's great. It is yeah. so good. The casting is so perfect. The story is so clean and clear. Like there is not a mm-hmm. bit of extra fat on that story. Right. That story was trimmed down to within an inch of its life. And it is the most efficient telling of that mm-hmm. story that they could possibly do. And I think that that's what the problem was with an American tale is right. that it is that they were like, okay, we've got this idea for this adorable little mouse and he gets separated from his family on the way to America. And then like, there's a rat who's not really a rat. And then there's this cat who's actually a vegetarian and there's this rent <laughs> and then there's like a labor thing. And there's like a politician who's like kind of crooked, but maybe in a kind of endearing way. And like, mm-hmm. and it was like too much. It's just too much. It's overstuffed. And like, mm-hmm. and I think the Ratatouille comparison is great because I think this is like, I don't watch, I mean, I'm going to shock our listeners when I say I don't watch a lot of kids' movies, <laughs> um, <laughs> particularly like, you know, in recent years. But like, it seems like from the mid 90s forward, companies like Pixar, not just Pixar, I mean, I think of like one of my favorite animated films is The Iron Giant which i don't i don't remember which company put that out but kids movies have become particularly like pixar movies are like you say they're as good i mean they're they're legitimately just good films good narratives i think wally is like a really great film what's the one yeah uh inside out is that what it's called uh inside out is the one with the with the feelings with the feelings like that's Uh that's just an excellent movie i even think of like at least the first shrek movie as being pretty Shrek was also a lot of fun because it was so subversive yeah it's subversive and it's wink wink mm-hmm. but it's, so sometimes going back to like the older particularly like some of these 80s kids movies it feels to me like watching like if you watch a movie like a hollywood film from like 1964 you're gonna be like what the fuck were they doing right because it's like they, well because they were like panicking because they're losing box office to tv Mm. It's the rating you know the haze code is starting to fall apart and they're just like we need to we need to bring people in and so they just started throwing spectacle and right. so you get these movies in like the mid 60s that are just it's they're, they're frantic like yeah. they're they're manic and like that's how i kind of felt about this movie it just felt frantic in a way that it didn't need to be well and apparently it was like in looking at some of the imdb trivia like it 
was a very frantically made movie. And there was Mm. stuff about, you know, that like, I I think there was stuff that like they didn't have enough animators and people weren't Mm -hmm. really understanding the difference between like what was needed for like TV animation versus film animation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was some, uh, what was I, hold on, I'm going to look. You were looking up the Iron Giant. I was looking up the Iron Giant and all I could find was Warner Brothers for that. Okay. Uh, in terms of like studio, but I feel like I saw something about an American tale where like too many people wanted eyes on the dailies and had like too much input. And there was, and uh, Don Bluth, is that his name? Mm -hmm. was like, like too many cooks in the kitchen. (laughs) Because if you see, I have seen, so I've I've actually watched secret of Nim fairly recently. Such a good movie. And I watched The Land Before Time again, I don't know, like 10, 15 years ago. I was an adult, at least. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember. And like, those are much cleaner movies in terms of the narrative. Yeah. There is something slapdash about an American tale that I don't think you get from these other Don Blue films. And it makes sense that it could be like, we should say that the one of the main drivers behind this movie, uh, producers, is Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who is not, I think, known for being hands-off as a producer. Right. Like, talk to Toby Hooper post-Poltergeist. Right. Yeah, I'm Um, seeing here in the Wikipedia, it says, during production, Amblin and Universal expected to view the dailies and approve mm -hmm. all major work on the film, and various outside parties also requested changes here and there. The production buckled under the excessive oversight, and Bluth felt that he was losing freedom of control over the production process. Pressure grew among the crew, and numerous problems arose, range from slower than expected cell painting in Ireland to low footage output by some animators. Like they're just mm. it. And, and I think, I think that that reads. It does read. And like, and it also read one thing I, I read is that like, I think Spielberg was like, this has to be musical. Like Spielberg really Spielberg just loves musicals. I think, I mean, you see like temple of doom has a big musical theater. Well, like, and opening, if you, you know. if you watched West side story, it is, I still have it. Unbelievably clear that he loves that medium right yeah so and you know i think he was seeing you know he had done this weird little like musical interlude in temple of doom around the same time yeah (laughs) but like this was an opportunity for him to produce a musical and i think don bluth sort of didn't want it so it's like half a musical and you can tell it's like it's like a begrudging musical like the songs are really short they're not polished like they're, they're almost purposefully kind of rough which i really like about them yeah. Like somewhere out there is not this beautiful sweeping song. It's like these my, two mice kids with squeaky voices. Little like, squeaky oh. voices. Like, and it's, and it, but it's so funny. I mean, I listened to that song and I immediately burst into tears. Really interesting. I did not have that reaction. I did. I was, <sighs> for me, it was more like, oh shit. Yeah. That was from this movie. Like no, it was just kind of yeah. like that. Oh yeah. No. And especially like in the, in the, in the movie, you know, cause it's the little, it's the little babies. It's, uh, it's Tanya and Fival, but it was, um, what was it? It was Linda Ronstadt and James In- Ingram I'm seeing. Hmm. Yes. Who did the, you know, like the, the orchestrated. Yes. Like, yeah. The like released single version of it. And I well, mean, man, I, I, it, I, do you know, me. like, I have heard version a version of that song that is way more polished than we get in the movie. I actually found 
the like you know i've talked about it on here i don't particularly like musicals mm-hmm. and so the first time i think papa starts singing at the beginning i was like oh fuck is this a musical <laughs> but then like as it went i was like, i kind of liked how it approached because and i feel like it was because don bluth was like i don't want to do a musical so he kind right. of he found a way to like do a musical in kind of a fun like almost a little bit subversive way yeah um where he's kind of taking the piss out of the idea of a musical because they are so ragged like the musical numbers are so ragged but that makes it it's just it's got a very particular charm to it yeah yeah um like i actually loved the song the five will does with tiger the don deloise character oh right 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 um like I went back and watched, like I watched it and I was like, that was a lot of fun. And I actually rewound it and watched it again. Nice. Um, which I've probably never done for like a musical interlude in a movie yeah. in my life. Yeah. 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 Um, all in all, I think uh, an American tale is like very indicative of the time and the people who are making it. Mm-hmm. I think it's got some iconic things in it somewhere out there being one of them. And yeah, is it like a great piece of art? It's flawed. I mean, I think it's, it's, I would, I think it's worth watching. I actually think it's worth, if you're a parent, I think it's worth watching with your kid because it does introduce them to an immigrant story in a way that like, I will say it's like things like in America, like I've always just grown up with the idea of like immigrants are what make America great. And it's like, it's the melting pot. And it's like, you know, you go to England, it's just a bunch of stuffy English people. You go to Germany, it's just a bunch of angry Germans and you come to America and we're all kind of together. And, you know, and obviously that's super naive. Yeah. (laughs) But as a kid, like I, I always had that mentality. And like, I think it's movies like an American tale do help instill that that like that is something we can at least aspire to even if we do it imperfectly you know? yeah yeah absolutely but i would i would definitely like recommend it for parents to watch with their kids it's yeah, it is a kiddos. lot of fun yeah it's just yeah just watching it as a 45 year old man i was a little frustrated with it <laughs> in spots <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay should we move on to knives out Let's do it. Before we get into this, are you watch guys? I real okay, sorry. I just had a billion thoughts at once. One okay. one is have you watched Wednesday, the new Wednesday series on Netflix? I have not. I, I think yet. you'd be into it. Mm-hmm. Um two, guys, please stop using Lenza. Please stop using it. It's the what thing is, that every it's that? Lenza is the app that everybody's putting all of their fucking selfies into Ooh. um to put them like so that they come out as like, you know, kind anime. Yeah, it's right. the AI thing. And yeah, it's okay. like one, it's kind of shitty because they're like, from what I'm understanding, they've like stolen styles and all mm-hmm. that stuff from actual artists to mm-hmm. create the AI to do this. And two, I saw something uh, someone had posted that uh, fucking somehow this company or one of these types of companies had gotten a hold of all of the, these like doctors patient photographs mm. to like learn on. And so it's, and I think the thing is, is that it's like, That's put, creepy you, as fuck. yeah. And it's something about that. It's like, it tells you to load in like 10 or 20 selfies Mm. Yeah, I don't a like thing- that. Like I've played around with the AI art generators, and they're kind of fun. You can't like really call them art because it's yeah. there's no soul to it, but it's right. kind of fun to play with. But this sounds creepy as fuck. Yeah, and there is a uh, you know Google Art was doing a thing a while ago that was like put in a picture and we'll uh, do you like oh, yeah. in a style, but that was different because it was one picture. 
And it would just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, do the thing for you. This is, a, I think, asking for a bunch, which is why you're seeing people who are posting like four or five, six mm-hmm. pictures. It's because the app is telling them to do that. Well, I just, we don't just need like, to, I mean, even though I have played with the AIR generators just for, for kind of fucking around purposes. Yeah, which I'm going to sidebar this. We don't need to be like helping <laughs> Skynet learn. Like, yes. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm going to sidebar this with when Scotty was fucking around with the AI art generators. He kept sending me pictures of like meat landscapes. And he was like, oops, sorry. I meant to send that to myself. And I was like, I don't want to fucking see your weird beef <laughs> landscapes and, and anymore, dude. Literally, they were literally meat landscapes. <laughs> they were. We're going to post one. This... I will put one in. I will put it in social media. Because you kept sending to me. And I was like, I fucking hate AI art to begin with I was like I already hate these and you keep sending them to me um, I, I forgot yeah you were getting pretty because it happened like three times it did and it was always it wasn't like you know here's a puppy at like a political rally it was like blood meat canyon and I was like I don't fucking want to see this I'm like eating breakfast all right okay all right <laughs> there's my spiel uh watch i do uh just real quick i do yeah. so uh here's my question about wednesday mm-hmm. um i've read a couple things that say it's actually like a dark version of the adams family is Very it much. Like, like a dark and genuinely creepy interesting like i'm not well i'm gonna have to watch it and see how i feel because actually i've always one thing i've always liked about the adams family is that they look dark but they're not you know like, what i mean yeah. yeah, I think the I think the what do they keep calling Wednesday? Soft goth is what they keep mm-hmm. like she is very much like a goth child and she's very much in the spirit of Lydia from Beetlejuice, like mm-hmm. I myself am strange and mysterious mm-hmm. um in that thing. And I think it also I, I think it's a wonderful way to talk about teen angst mm-hmm. um, and like everything, you know, that a teenager is going through. Well, and Morticia and Gomez are very, very weird and mm-hmm. very, very in love. And so mm-hmm. all of that, like weirdness, that like dark, well, weird and I know sex people, stuff that they do is very present. People have bitched about the Gomez casting, which I think is mean. It's just like fat phobic. But also, like, go look at the Charles Adams cartoons. Like, like they they were casting, you know, they they were they were not going outside of like the bounds of how to imagine that character. Yes, and I think part of the thing is is Raúl Julia was so wonderful as mm-hmm. Gomez in the movies that came out in the what the nineties, yeah. I guess. Um, well, and I know like a bunch of fucking racists have been like all mad about like the casting that it's like very Latino based. And I'm like, go f- A, go fuck yourself. But B, also like his name is Gomez. Like there were never not, you know, like. Yeah. That's how Julia played him. In the yeah. This, you know, Oscar Isaac voiced him in the animated version. Like, right. Like there, this isn't retconning. This isn't like right. going back and changing something. The Adams and, have always been Latinos and. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, like, honestly, it's, you know, it is super cool. And it is super cool to see Jenna Ortega, who is, well, and I, who I best. think is, I, I saw her earlier this year in the movie X. It's a horror movie came out earlier this year. And she's real fucking good in it. Like, I think that's the first thing I ever saw her in. So I was excited about her casting. Like, yeah. I, I have my like issues with Tim Burton 
but this seems like the Tim Burton that I like. I um, I think so. I I've think been wanting so. to get to it. Yeah, yeah, I think so, and I think it's you know Jenna Ortega is sort of I think poised and I hope this doesn't like limit her but she's sort of poised to become like a scream queen uh mm-hmm. of this like younger generation I love that she is uh Latina she is absolutely stunning like she is was she hard in, to take your eyes off of was she in the new scream that came out mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year okay so mm-hmm. so I saw her in that and then I saw her in X mm-hmm. that's right and then now she's in this so yeah. yeah and my first exposure to her was she played young Jane in Jane the Virgin that's right and that's then right. she popped up on season two of you uh and i was super excited about that and then it's just been like gangbusters and yeah well, she's, it's she's it's, clearly it's, like a real talent like she's i i kind of remember her but she was the younger sister in scream right so yes. like she's the um, she's the one at the beginning of like who gets she's the one right. on the phone at the beginning of the movie right um yeah. and so she's she was very good in that but it was really the movie x it's also she's not necessarily the star of x that's more mia goth but like she she's just like she pops in x yeah. so like yeah. i've been very excited yeah i just i just haven't sat down to watch it yet there's there's a few things that i need to catch up with and that's one of them so <laughs> i think I, here's the thing is that i think you'll watch uh i don't know if it's a cold open but it's like the first 10 minutes of the show and mm-hmm. I watched it. Uh, we watched uh, maybe like half of it when I was in Colorado for Thanksgiving with my with my family. Mm. Uh, watched it with my brother and sister in law. And like the first ten minutes of it, you'll be like, "Okay, this is different." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm. Yeah. I've I've definitely been interested in it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's very fun. She's like you know her Wednesday Adams is is a lot of fun. So yeah, that's that's my. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Your your pitch. For- yeah, that's my pitch. That's my suggestion corner for this episode. Okay, on to Knives Out. So you did the plot synopsis for American Tell. Do you want me to? I mean, I, I can't do a full plot synopsis of Knives Out because it's just so. It's a lot. Just so I'll give you. I'll give you the, some, give give you us the a nutshell. The nutshell. So it focuses on a family. Uh, what what are the what's their name? The Trombleys or something. Um, I don't know. Uh, Thromby. The Thrombies. You know, the patriarch is Christopher Plummer. He's this like uber, uber famous, successful mystery novelist. Mm -hmm. And you've got all his like kind of layabout kids. You've got, you know, Michael Shannon is the youngest son who's been sort of in his father's shadow. You've got Jamie Lee Curtis is like the oldest daughter who's like, let's just not the nicest person um, yeah she's she's got real first daughter energy <laughs> right <laughs> no offense to all you first daughters out there um, and Amelia's like sure whatever fine <laughs> <laughs> I mean I am I'm like I'm a first daughter I'm the only daughter and I'm yeah. the youngest so I don't that does not fall into me but it's yeah. just you know it's very it's very type a it's very bossy right. It's mm-hmm. very like second judgy. Mom. Uh, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you've got you've got Tony Collette, fantastic Tony Collette as like the wife of the son who has died in the family, but she's still mm-hmm. just kind of hanging around. She's a hanger on. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. you've got you've got an alt-right masturbating Nazi grandson. <laughs> you've got, I mean, it's it's just it's the yeah. great, it's a great uh mix 
of just insufferable waspy people yes in this like house that should be like from the board game clue right yes very much so and and so the patriarch uh played by christopher Plummer, uh kills himself and then it's about the investigation of what really happened and of course daniel craig comes in as a pretty great like louisiana i think like yeah (laughs) southern detective gentleman detective Mm-hmm. Character's name is Benoit Blanc. Benoit um, Blanc. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he comes in with Lakeith Stanfield and, mm-hmm. and some uh, guy. Noah Segan, who plays Trooper Wagner. Uh, and they come in to sort of investigate what was it a suicide here. or was it not a suicide? And mm-hmm. of course, the whole plot ends up revolving around um the the nurse of mm-hmm. the patriarch, played by Anna de Armas. Her name's Marta. Uh-huh. And she's basically like in the middle of everything. And yes. So it's really, it's really her story. Yes. Um, and then I guess so. we'll just leave it there. I mean, we could say like spoiler alert, but I'm not even going to worry about spoilers because it's like, I, I could not summarize the entire plot to this movie if I tried. Like it's so... Right. It is absurdly convoluted, (laughs) which is the point. It's exactly what he's going for. (laughs) Yeah. It's very twisty and turny. And I I remember because I think this was one of the last movies. I think I watched this. And then I think truly, truly the last movie I watched before the world shut down in 2020 was The Invisible Man with you. Um, And I think Knives Out was the second to last Short, movie. Yeah, shortly before, right. Yeah. And there is a thing with Marta. She is, where is her family from? They keep well, the, getting the it wrong. Well, the thing is, they keep getting it wrong. It's a, it's Ecuador, then it's Paraguay, then it's Uruguay, then they say you're a Brazilian nurse. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I think, I don't know that they ever actually explicitly say this is actually where she's from. Hold on, I'm going to see, I'm going to see if it, if it says anywhere. It might not. It might that might be part of the whole thing. Is that they're like, no, she's just from all over the place. Well, it's it's just like they clearly can't don't be, know, can't be bothered. <laughs> and what's great about it, like I was watching this movie. I saw it when it came out. I fucking loved it. Yeah, I haven't watched it since. So watching it again, I actually for an, uh, a class I'm teaching, I actually just watched uh, the movie Get Out this weekend too. Oh, and there's like a there's definitely like a, a symbiosis between Knives Out and Get Out. And one thing is, it's like the rich white people who really want the people of color to think like, oh, you're just like family to us until right. you're not. <laughs> right there. Yeah, absolutely. There is very much this like, you know, what Get Out does so well with like, yeah, we're white. Like I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could have and like that whole thing. And right. that's with the exception of the weird all right Nazi, Nazi. masturbating <laughs> son. Yeah. But when, you know, they all present themselves to be very liberal, very, well, uh, you they, know, all these they things. They love her, you know, like Don, what's his name? A Don. It's Don Johnson is the Don actor's Johnson. name. And his plays, character's name is Richard. He plays Jamie Lee Curtis's husband. And like, you know, when, when, uh, at the, after the funeral, uh, when Marta comes over, he's like, how are you doing kiddo? And everyone's hugging her and like, you know, they're treating her like part of the family, but you can just tell. And then they do. Ha- and this is one of the things like, so like you said, this is not technically a Thanksgiving movie. 
Right. But it feels very Thanksgiving. One of the things that feels very Thanksgiving is you have the family political debate and all of a sudden all the not so liberal stuff starts to come out. Right. There's people. Yeah, there's that. And I think like I think this is, you know, Scotty, you and I have talked about this, about how what I think the movie does so well is it presents Marta as being accepted in this community while also showing, given the first reason to be like your other, they mm-hmm. put it's that all, on her. It's always conditional. Like, right, right. You're part of the family until we have a reason to turn on you. Right, yeah. yeah. And okay, so I just read that, let me see. Okay. Uh, I Googled, where is Marta from in Knives Out? And I'm seeing something that says later it is said that she is from Uruguay. Even later, someone referred to her as from Brazil. When Ransom is arguing with Harlan in a flashback towards the end of the film, he refers to Marta as Harlan's Brazilian nurse. Mm. Yet earlier in the film, it is, really, it is revealed by Richard that Marta's family is from Uruguay. So it's, I think it's, if anyone There's knows... A- yeah, Look, there's no tell way us in to... the comments. She's a Ryan Johnson, South American. Listening. Yeah, right. South American. There is a whole thing. Her mother is here undocumented. Also, I love the scene at the beginning of the movie when Marta is at her house and they're talking about it on the radio or on the TV. And her mom is yelling at her sister, <laughs> like, turn off the TV. And she's like, Mom, I'm just listening. And her mom is like, Marta's friend just died. He said his just throat. Just slit his own throat. Right. Be sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it is such like a beautiful <laughs> encapsulation of how Latinos are with each other that it's like, stop making her think about the fact that her friend just slit open his own throat on the couch in front of her like it's well, like one thing that that is God. i mean that's a good segue to like one of the i wanted to ask how you felt about this because it's one of the things that i think should be pointed out is ryan johnson the writer director like mm-hmm. he's pretty waspy mm-hmm. you know so for him to he's i think he's like but he's very aware i think and i think mm-hmm. he's been paying attention you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, I, I agree. I feel like he caught her family dynamic surprisingly well. Yeah, um, I would. He definitely nails their family dynamic. The absolutely. Or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing, right? Is that like, okay, so we've got Benoit Blanc and he's there and everybody's like, wasn't this a suicide? And he's like, I don't know. Was it, you know? And he's yeah. like, let's, fi- let's figure this he's out. He's very Columbo. Like he's just kind of a rumple detective. I'm he's, just asking some questions. He's, you know? I would disagree that he is rumple. I think he's very, I think he is absolutely very much in the style of Poirot. He's very Agatha Christie. Um, When I say rumpled, I think it's more like he's got a little bit of just like a folksiness to him, you know, like, yeah, um, you're right. Like, he's very like elegant and whatnot but yes like, but like his demeanor is very columbo and that he's like i'm not i'm not here to be a he, yeah he is very but like I, I don't everything. know maybe mm, let's let's i don't know what this is let's find out um mm-hmm. but so they go through with like interviewing everybody and it's hilarious to see the interviews because you have the very waspy so we're going to come back to what you were talking about in just a sec mm-hmm. but you you've got the very superficial public street face of like yes and we loved him and he was wonderful and like the <laughs> second somebody is like mm, you know yeah, that's not what happened everybody, it's, it just all fucking falls apart and then you've got right. siblings being like this guy's a fuck up and this guy wouldn't do this and you know she's a weirdo and 
and and it's all great. Well, and, and it's also great because like, you have the weird grandchildren as well. Yeah, like you have uh the SJW, whatever her name is. Yes. Um I'm forgetting the character name, but she's going to Smith College. She's like yes. a super liberal granddaughter. Mm-hmm. You have Meg. the masturbating not Meg, you have the masturbating mm-hmm. Nazi grandson. Jacob. Mm-hmm. Jacob. Um I want I will say like I was fascinated by that character, and he's so like not very much used in the movie and i think probably for the best keep the masturbating nazi a little bit in the background but i'm also like i I want like a separate movie about that kid i had seen somewhere so uh, there is i okay i am going to say spoiler alert so if you haven't watched knives out i guess like stop listening and go watch Mm -hmm. it and come back to this later so i'm gonna give because i'm gonna reveal some plot points but, you know, you've got Harlan, who is Christopher Plummer, who's very wealthy, clearly, because mm-hmm. he's had a very successful career as a writer. I did say he's worth like $60 million or something. Right. He dies. And so, of course, everybody's like, oh, dad, and oh, yeah, and he was so great. But clearly, there's all sorts of problems. And then they do the reading of the will. The will. And you find yeah. out throughout the movie that he has been, Harlan has been going to his children and being like, we're done. Like, mm-hmm. love you. I'm cutting you off. I'm not doing this for various reasons with all of them mm-hmm. that he is quote unquote, cutting them off in some way, shape or form. And you find out at the will reading that he has left everything, every, everything. Like to, every last. Yeah. Role, like the like house. Pencil in his desk. To, like. <laughs> yes. To Marta. And right. at that point, of course, this waspy family can't just be like, well, of course, because she was somebody who cared for him and took care of him and, you know, genuinely related to him as a human being and not as a walking ATM and had an actual like relationship with it. Immediately they go to accusing her of, you know, all sorts of well, things. And well, during love- that scene uh- is when Jacob yells something along the lines of, you screwed my grandfather, you dirty anchor baby. <laughs> That's right. I think it's you boinked my grandfather, you dirty th- anchor baby. <laughs> I think it might be you boinked. Yeah, it's because something along Jamie Lee Curtis like- is like, did you boink him? Did you <laughs> boink him? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like they start off accusing her, then they start trying to manipulate her to like right. give the money back. And then they Yeah, start, then like, they fold her like, mo- they move to subtle but full-on threats of having her mother deported. Mm-hmm, that's um, Michael Shannon. Yeah. yeah, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I, I want to say, like, so we were talking about with American Tale how, like, there's so much going on in that movie, and it kind of doesn't work. Like, they needed to just simplify the fuck out of that movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, Knives Out is another overstuffed movie, and yet mm-hmm. every piece of it just works like clockwork to me. Well, like, and I, I don't think part- there's one misplaced element in this film. Right. Even down to the weird thing that when I saw the movie the first time, I was like, wait, what what kind of movie am I watching? The mm-hmm. whole thing about Martha not being able to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a physical reaction to lying. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I watched it the first time, I was like, wait, ho- what? I thought I was watching one movie, but now maybe I'm watching another. But then mm-hmm. it all it all works out. It all I works think out. The thing is, again, in the vein of Agatha Christie, Murder on the Orient Express, that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. what you have is this very frayed thread of mm-hmm. a story with all of these things that you know come together at the end being very neatly wrapped, mm-hmm. very neatly and very satisfyingly wrapped up. It mm-hmm. works because at the heart of it, 
Knives Out is a murder mystery. Right. And you need all of that, like misdirection and maybe well, it's and, this person and what's going and on Ryan over here. Ryan Johnson is so fucking good at that. Like I was talking to, so I have a student in, in my writing class right now who's, who's doing a big like fantasy sci-fi project. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a whole world building like series Bible for it and stuff. I've been talking to them about like, I'm so impressed by writers who have the brain that they can hold all those kind of details. Like, um, I think about George R. R. Martin with Game of Thrones, like just the level of world building, mm-hmm. the level of just like it's not just like telling the story it's like creating an entire existence and like i'm i'm a writer and that's like something i feel like i'm it just is not in my wheelhouse particularly and i feel the same way about what ryan johnson does which is a different thing which is that like swiss watch precision of plotting mm-hmm. um like he is so good at like the caper movie or the mystery mm-hmm. you know the twists and turns mystery his first film was i don't know if you've ever seen it. it's a movie called brick uh mm-hmm. start jo- joseph gordon levitt it's from the mid i want to say like 2006 2007 and it's it's a straight up film noir set in high school mm, okay. um, but like not winking like it is like hard-boiled film noir mystery and he followed that up with like a like a con man movie i can't remember what it's called uh, it's always weird to me that he they chose him to do that uh what was the star wars he did the second star he did the, the he did the last jedi he did the last jedi yeah um, which I, which was the last one no he did the he did the middle one because then they went back to jj i think for i'm 100 right you can you can fact check me but i'm 100 I just I love that you're, no i'm looking at it right now and he did the last jedi <laughs> yeah but that's not but that's not the last one like the rise of the skywalker is the last one I see what you're saying. Uh, yes, then you are 100% <laughs> right. Anyway, um, <laughs> just that, those, the, probably the nerdiest moment that's ever happened on this podcast. But like, I've always thought like, and, and like people bitched about his his take on that. I, I actually thought he did a pretty good job, but it's not really like I've always thought like, you know, the movie they should have given him in the Star Wars universe to do was the Han Solo movie because that's the heist movie. It's a caper. Movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what Ryan Johnston is so good at is just like every element falling into place and with knives out i mean everything down to like you have a very just tossed off comment about a prop knife earlier in the movie mm-hmm. that pays off beautifully at the end you right know? right right yeah i'm looking up that dude right now so brick uh brothers bloom is that the brothers movie bloom. That that, okay yeah. then he did looper uh mm-hmm. he directed some breaking bad that's right he did i believe the second to last episode of breaking bad Interesting. Then he did The Last Jedi, Knives Out, and then he's got Glass Onion, which is beautiful to see that, uh, again, in Agatha Christie fashion, they are continuing on with Benoit Blanc, Mm -hmm. um, because also just a great character. I think he had said he wanted that to happen with the Brothers Bloom, too, that he wanted them to be like recurring series but the movie wasn't all that successful so ah, there was well, no appetite for it but the knives out was a big hit so now he's got the opportunity what's interesting to me about knives out versus like knives out moving into glass onion is you've got benoit blanc who is you know in the movie and is a major player in the movie but unlike murder on the orient express murder on the nile benoit is not the central Mm-hmm. it's not his knives out is not his story it's marta's story he's actually so i'm not to get too nerdy on like 
story structure but like Mm -hmm. he's actually technically the antagonist or well he's one of the antagonists of the film in the sense that he is the obstacle for most Mm -hmm. of the movie that's like i always make the point with columbo it's like if you watch an episode of columbo columbo is quote-unquote the bad guy of every episode he's Mm -hmm. the antagonist of every episode because the focus is always on the murderers Right. right, 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 right. It's kind of, it's it's not exactly the same dynamic, but it's a similar dynamic in Knives Out. Yeah. Where he's like the, like, it's always about like trying to like, can we get, can we get it over on him? Yeah. Know? Yeah. I very much am looking forward to go seeing Glass Onion, which I think as of right now is still in theaters. Um, yeah. I forgot that it was actually released. So we, yeah. We should- Yeah. But back to your earlier question about how I felt about how Marta's family was sort of portrayed. I thought that he did a wonderful job. I like I think that that family is (laughs) very (laughs) accurately represented. The one like beef and it's a small one that I have is that realistically that conversation, especially if her mom is undocumented, that conversation probably would have happened either entirely in Spanish or the mother speaking Spanish and the daughter speaking English to her. Mm. Um, that That is like the one non-true thing that there is there. You're talking about the, the fight at the beginning about turning the TV off. About turning the TV yeah. off. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, no, um, I'm, of course, I hadn't thought about that. But now that you say it, that one that completely makes sense. Yeah. I think the rest of it is very authentic. I think that would be the one thing. And I know I understand that that's a tricky thing for filmmakers because it's either you subtitle it or you don't. Well, and you just leave your and, non-Spanish speakers to be like, there are well, I mean. It'd be it'd be interesting to like know what conversations, if any, they had about that. Because I'm thinking like they might have have had the conversation about it and said like this has got to be like kind of a funny moment. And if you're adding this extra element of having to read the dialogue, it kind of steps on the humor. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why it was like a cheat. Yeah, you know? or maybe they just didn't. Maybe they just didn't think about it. Right. I appreciate the fact that it was not. You know that it wasn't a mother speaking like broken English to her, mm-hmm. her clearly English speaking daughters. That uh, would be actually offensive. That would be dumb. <laughs> it doesn't. It it doesn't work like that. But yeah, I would say that would be like the one spot of that you could, if you wanted to pull that thread, you could. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, okay, we are not we have not talked yet about one of the best parts of Knives Out. <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> which which is in <laughs> fact Chris Evans, uh, mm-hmm. who <laughs> where where is the ding? Who plays Ransom, uh, mm-hmm. and he is the son <laughs> of Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson. <laughs> and I love that his name is Ransom. It's just like they're they're like like hidden in plain sight you know, what is like, the what is the thing though because there's the whole thing about name? ransom is his middle name and Hugh. so the whole thing hugh and you comes right. up at the end right uh, but he's hugh ransom thromblay or thrombay or, and he you know. goes by ransom but he makes the help call him hugh mm-hmm. okay yeah which is like a weird flex well yeah but that's his entire character is a weird flex yes know? um <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, look, I love Chris Evans. Mm-hmm. Full stop. That's the tweet. Yeah. I love Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's no but. 
at the end of that sense. <laughs> no, he's he's fantastic. Yes. He's I mean, everyone in this movie is fantastic. Every, like I don't no, there's there not is a bad not, performance. No, there is not a weak link among honestly, like the weakest. Even Fran, the housekeeper, is great. Like at the beginning, <laughs> you, when she's just like, oh shit, and drops the stuff. Like is she is she am I thinking of the right person? Is she in yes, she is. She plays the sister in the righteous gemstones, which is a, mm. a very funny show. Yes, honestly, like the weakest, the weakest link is M. Emmett Walsh, who plays Mr. Proof Proofrock. Proofrock. He's the oh. like the security dude, right? Well, he, like, yeah, <laughs> he's, well, he's, he's the he's weakest link because he has like the least to do. <laughs> yeah, and well, he's he's always kind of that character in movies, um, right? M. Emmett um, Walsh. If if anyone back to talking about the Coen Brothers for half a second he's in their first movie blood simple but anyway yeah and and that that's not like actually you know that's not me being yeah. like he sucks in the movie it's just that like everybody else is well it's sort of that thing of like you're giving mm at walsh who's actually like sort of a legend and you're giving him one scene yeah you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah but chris evans like do not get me wrong i adore chris evans in you know his captain america realness mm-hmm. i love him as a good boy i love him as america's good mm-hmm. boy i love that whole thing i deeply love chris evans when he's playing a cad like he he is well, so good at playing an asshole that you also are like god but if you ask me to make out with you i 100 percent would well that's that's the thing that's why he's such great casting is, is like it's using our natural like he's so likable. It's kind yeah. of using that against us a little bit. You know, yeah. it's like it's like, you know, I mean, his name is fucking ransom. Like, yeah, like he's choosing to go by ransom. Like you kind of know, like, this is not a good guy. And yet he's just like, I mean, this is the second time I've seen the movie. And he he almost he almost got me again. Like again. He almost, he almost like convinced me a second time, you know. I was reading something, I think it was Ryan Johnson, who was like, the best acting in the movie is when when Ransom comes in for the reading of the will and the dogs like, you know, come mm-hmm. to attack him. And he was like, because Chris Evans loves dogs and dogs <laughs> love Chris Evans. Like it is stellar acting from all involved mm-hmm. in that movie. <laughs> even the dogs, because I don't even think their tails are wagging. Like I know. Like- and it's just, I'm mean, yeah, because how could you how could you look at Chris Evans and not just be like, yeah, I love you. I'm just, I love you. Full yeah, again, no, full he, stop. He's great. I mean, he's the way his character set up is so great because we meet everybody up front mm-hmm. except for him. Like except for him. He's the card that's held back. You know, yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's it's yeah, it's a really, really fun movie. The reason I suggested this to you was because I was like, well, what are what are holiday movies that aren't Halloween or Christmas movies? And there is a, not lot. a lot of good of ones though. Yeah, and there is a lot of push for I think like I said before for knives out to be the diehard of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um and the thing is is that like you know you've got a a, a fraught family stuck together in the house. In, Tensions in the are high. Yeah in the in the fall. I mean and, it's it's yeah. Thanksgiving and all but Nate. Like I mean it's yeah. I'll probably in a week forget that the whole thing revolves around his birthday and not Thanksgiving. You know, because it just feels like it should be. 
Right. And some, uh, one of the articles that I had read had said that, that it was like, it technically takes place around his birthday, but you quickly, you're, you're, there's like a Mandela effect of like, no, Knives Out Mm -hmm. takes place during Thanksgiving. And it's like, it doesn't Mm -hmm. at all. It just, like I said earlier, it walks that really fine razor's edge of being a movie that happens during the fall and yet has nothing to do with Halloween. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. It really doesn't feel like Halloween at all. There's a coziness to this movie Mm -hmm. that I think is part of its charm. Cause like you could imagine the Halloweeny version of it where it's just, they lean a little bit more into the, like the spooky Gothic mansion and the austerity of the, you know, and the, the gray skies and everything. And it's just like shift the mood a little bit. It starts, to feel brooding mm-hmm. but this movie never does feel that way it's it's no. so y- you want to hang out inside this movie uh, yeah. like the movie was done i was watching it just this afternoon in preparation for this and i was like real sad when the movie was done like i yeah. just kind of wanted to go back and watch it again yeah and, like that's what you want from a thanksgiving movie and it's also it's a movie i mean i don't know about your family but this is a movie that feels like for a lot of families it could be a like all right, we had our turkey dinner and then like, let's all hang out and watch Knives Out. And like, yeah, yeah, it's about a dysfunctional family, but they're so specifically dysfunctional that like, I don't think it's going to like trigger too much. (laughs) I I think what I think is really funny about this is that I think Ryan Johnson does a really beautiful job of you've got Lakeith Stanfield, who is a black detective, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. Cool. We don't see that a ton. And, mm-hmm. and you've got Marta, who is this Latina nurse who's very good at her job, which I think you do see a lot of Latina healthcare workers because, you know, we are like very good at that. But you've got, you know, you've got some like othered people in here who are really sort of prime examples of like the good ones. I'm saying that in heavy air quotes. So yeah, everybody, I, mean, I, know it's, I know. Well, it's like they're the ones that feel like. The people then, who feel like aliens in this movie are the waspy. Are the white, rumbles. yeah, the waspy white yeah. people, and I think that's it. Like if you've got you've got this movie that plays into like pretty awful stereotypes about white people, which again, <laughs> yet again, why it like version. goes with, yeah, yeah, it goes of, well with Get Out. <laughs> yeah, of uh, you know of the theme of like here are these people like they're you know. Just so much of like the whole conversation that Don Johnson has. And he's like, Marta, Marta, come here. You, they're talking about immigration. He's like, you know, you guys came here the right way. And it's like, mm-hmm. I know it's so, but even like, you know, even the like people defending her, like they're, they're just as like insufferably weird. Like, you yes, know, the, Tony, I, Tony Collette, we need to just talk about her for a second. She is so, <laughs> she can do no wrong to me as far like she can play anything and like she is so insufferable and hilarious in this God, when she's doing the thing when she's like it's a mix of like feeling very supported and very grounded by my family and then it cuts to her like trying to do her fucking weird burning man dance <laughs> like trying to pull jamie lee curtis into it and jamie lee curtis is just like having no part of it um, and she's got like a fucking, what is it? Like a skincare wellness line or something that's called flam. flam. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is just terrible. And, oh, what is her name? It's, uh, the girl who plays the Catherine Langford. She plays Meg, Tony Collette's daughter. Mm-hmm. Who again, she's in 13 reasons why she's right? in 13 reasons okay. why. And you sort of presented as like, oh, okay. Maybe she's like an ally, but then you're like, oh God, no, this is it just like an SJW. Doesn't. doesn't- take long for the allyship to 
right yeah, pretty rickety right and i think i think it's funny that you have the two grandchildren and you've got one who's like hardcore progressive liberal that kind of a thing and then you've got the other one who went in the complete opposite direction and yeah. like you said it's right, like troll an, yeah right. who i also read that ryan johnson based that character of jacob thromby on all the trolls that he dealt with from the last jedi 100 i could see that like, yeah of course i, I yeah. wouldn't have thought i wouldn't have made that connection but and then he's like he's always on his phone like <laughs> yeah just... well because you know he's on fucking rotten tomatoes like downvoting the last jedi you know <laughs> like he's on that he's on parlor right. he's on <laughs> truth social yeah. um absolutely. no that is, that's a great like fuck you to all those people yeah like make him the masturbating nazi and hiding in the bathroom the whole time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, and also, you know, again, we were talking about sort of like there's this thread, right? There's this thread of like these immigrant stories mm-hmm. of, you know, you have you have Marta as, you know, either an immigrant herself or first gen who is doing this thing. She is, you know, making a quote unquote honest living as a healthcare professional. She has built of like we see it in the movie. She she has built a very like dear and tender relationship with Christopher Plummer's character. Yeah, can yes. we talk about him real quick? Yeah. Like yeah. I he's I mean, you know, recently dearly departed Christopher Plummer. Yeah. He's just such he was he's been a fantastic actor forever. Forever. Um I loved him in this film largely because like that character would have been so easy to demonize to turn into like the crusty old patriarch. Right. Know? Yeah. And he's, you get the sense that he probably wasn't a great dad, kind of fucked up his kids for very, you know, weird expectations or whatever, but he knows that he's formed this relationship, this beautiful relationship with Marta. I love it when she's like, do you want to do drugs? You know, <laughs> when she's giving him <laughs> his medicine. Yeah. Like, you know, that just feels like a very lived in, like, you know, it's the really, he's such a charming character, but it's also a really sad character because he, he's, you know, never had, like she even says it's like he needed a friend. Like he's yeah. never had someone who didn't want something from him. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that that's an interesting thing too, because there's the line when the kids are all being, the kids and their spouses are all being interviewed. And I think it's Don Johnson who's like, yeah, you know, he started out with like a, what was it? Like a Silverwood typewriter? Yeah. Like nothing. And then created this like literary empire Mm -hmm. completely by himself. And then I think it's Lakeith Stanfield who's like, wow, you know, and then he had these like kids who were all like super driven and and Mm -hmm. ambitious. And Don Johnson's like... (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's, you know, that's the very, mm-hmm. that's the very interesting thing about it, which I think to me, I think there's a lot of reasons why Harlan and Marta bonded. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is one of them, that it was both like starting from nothing, doing everything that you can, you right. know, th- they're both very much the embodiments of the American dream that you can start with nothing and make something of yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so to me, it makes a lot of sense that they really like glommed onto each other. Well, and this is like back to what I was saying about Ryan Johnson, just he's such a master of plotting. But one thing that happens often with writers who are masters of plotting, I think of Christopher Nolan as being one of these people, is their work can become very schematic and very cold Mm -hmm. because it's all about the like the Swiss watch precision of the 
mm-hmm. of the sort of internal combustion. I'm mixing my metaphors like crazy, but like, <laughs> like the engine of that's driving the narrative for that's what it's about. Right. It's like the things that happen. Right. Right. And the, and like with Christopher Nolan, often enough, the characters kind of get lost, you know, the, yeah. they become exposition vehicles. What Ryan Johnson does so well, and he does it really well in Brick. He does it really well in The Brothers Bloom. It's why I think he should have done the Han Solo movie because it wasn't, it was, it wasn't bad, but it's like it needed that touch, you know, to really like pop, uh-huh. you know, is he can do that plotting and he never loses the characters. Right. Like the heart of the movie is not... Ooh, the like intrigue of like who did what and whatever it's that relationship between Harlan and Marta right you know? right yeah and I think like you know this is also a movie that is just excellently cast you oh, know what I mean like one of the best cast movies I've ever seen probably. yeah and and it is it like everybody across the board is really, really perfect in their roles. And I think one of the things, and it's, you know, again, it's a, it's like, he will, he will be very missed is that Christopher Plummer had this very, you know, he could be what's his name in the sound of, he could be very stern and very proper, but especially in Knives Out, he just has this like twinkle about him that again is like, like mm-hmm. that paired with the warmness and tenderness that is Marta. Like, it's just, I well, almost wish we had more of them. In the yeah, movie. for sure. And and it's, you know, it's so interesting because uh, there's that movie that came out a few, a few years ago. Cause it was right at the, like at the end of the me too stuff. It's that uh, all the money in the world where they, oh, right, right, right. They, they ba- replaced Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey with, with Christopher Plummer. And it, and it's a similar character that he's like the old rich patriarch of a family. He's, you know, it's uh, Getty, whatever. His, uh-huh. you know, he was a real guy, but he's so just, he's like everything that like, I was afraid Harlan would end up being in this movie. Uh-huh. Like just the stern, crusty industrialist who's, you know, will throw his family under the bus for a buck, you know? Right, right, and he, right. And he plays that so well in that movie. And then to see him do like such a shift with Harlan, where, like I said, it really could be the same character, but mm-hmm. it's just not, at all portrayed that way right also does a great turn in i want to make sure i'm getting it right right am i getting this right yeah because he's also he's he really was just such a just a such a fine actor because he's also the bad guy in up um oh that's right (laughs) yeah and does an excellent turn as arthur case in inside man Mm. Yeah, uh, and right. really right. does a wonderful job of playing all mm. of these things that we're talking about that are so in right. his wheelhouse. Really does all of them really. I love Inside Man. Inside Man is such a good movie. And I feel like it's mm. it's so. I, I haven't watched great. it in a while. That is a really good movie. Really, like really good movie. It's one of those movies that for what the movie is, you're kind of like, this movie doesn't have any business being this good because At it like no should business. just be a standard pot boiler, you know? Yeah. But it's like so well done. You know, it's it, so well done. It's, yeah. Like another movie like that, I always think of as Panic Room where it's like, man, talk about a movie that is like just the, the, like the most simplistic thriller plot, but the execution is just so spot on. That it yeah. Yeah. Your expectations. Yeah. Look, I love a heist movie. 
I Mm -hmm. love heist movies. I cannot get enough of the Oceans movies. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to do a whole series with Oceans 8. They didn't. It's fine. I'll get over it. But Inside Man falls into that category. And I think I think like kind of what you're saying is that that movie so easily could have been like the Italian job, which I did was another heist movie, which I was I, like, like, I saw it and remember nothing about it. So right. And I had no impression on me. And I I feel like Inside Man is not as cheeky as the Oceans movies are. It is not as mm-hmm. fun, um, but is an excellent heist movie. Um, and right. again, a stellar fucking cast in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Jodie Foster, Denzel Washington, Christopher Plummer. Um, what's his name? The, the main guy. Yeah. What's his name? I'm forgetting his name, but I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Broody, Broody, Bro- Clive Owen. Bro- Five yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. I think we've talked about everything having to do with these movies. I just want to say one thing. One last thing about about the casting. Yeah. 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 Is it's not just a matter of like let's just get every great actor and throw them into a movie together. It's like they're so perfectly cast for the character. Very like, much so. I read some stuff online where people are like, oh, it was such a missed opportunity. He should have, you know, when when they cast Jimmy Lee Curtis as the oldest, I'm forgetting the character's name, as the oldest daughter, they should have cast Christopher Guest as her husband and had them, you know, because Christopher Guest is such a great actor and they're real life married. And, you know, and I'm like, but Don Johnson is fucking perfect as that character. Yeah. Like Christopher Guest, I love Christopher Guest. Like Christopher yeah. Guest is one of the best comedic, and I've seen him do serious stuff. Like he's just a fantastic actor and is not right for this role. Like I Don think, Johnson is right for this role. I think here's here's the thing. What I love about Don Johnson and Jamie Lee Curtis is, and I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to say this without it sounding mean because I don't mean it to, but When you look at Don Johnson and Jamie Lee Curtis, you're like, oh, my God, this is student body vice president and captain of the football team. Mm -hmm, And they got married. And that couple produced Chris Evans. That's the thing is that you have to have a husband that produces Chris Evans. So, like, I just have to imagine that, like, Ryan Johnson knew, like, I am i don't know that the Christopher, Ga- like, that's just fan whatever. But, like, as, like, that's the type of mind I feel like Ryan Johnson has as mm-hmm. a filmmaker and as a writer is he's thinking all of those steps. Like, it's not just about let's get a great actor and throw it in this role. It's like, right. how is this actor and Jamie Lee Curtis going to create the Chris Evans character? And it all needs to, like, work together. And I think what's super interesting, too, in terms of that is uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character is Linda. Don Johnson's is Richard. And that very easily could have been a very, like, henpecked man, you know, like, but what you really got is that, like, this was a fucking power couple in their Mm -hmm. day. And maybe the, like, you know, the bloom is off the rose a little bit, but, like, Mm -hmm. this was a well and 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 ransom their son like chris evans he's so he's such a combination of their personalities because like you've got like what what makes don johnson so good is it's not just that he's like a man of a certain age who's super handsome and has this like history of being like a sex symbol right it's that he's also good and this is not like me knocking don johnson because i don't think this is him i think it's just something he does really well is he plays that like kind of dim bulb douchebag really well like the guy who knows how handsome he is but there's not a lot more to him than that he's because he hasn't had to have a lot more than that right and he's not like he's not dumb but he's just like oh but he's just kind of like i've been able to do this 
yeah, I've right. been able to do this for as and long I as I haven't like, needed to cultivate anything else. Yeah, and I feel like Don because he played kind of a similar, like weirdly a similar character in a Jingo Unchained. You huh. know, like he he's just really good at playing that older white rich white guy who's just kind of like uh you, you just want this guy to get finally get his comeuppance and like and i think don johnson like he knows that he's good like he he knows what he's doing when he plays that and then you have jamie lee curtis who just like she her character and her is an actress so she has so much like intelligence yeah and you get like this sense of her is really being like kind of a calculating like she's sort of playing the other family members against each other a little bit she's always like talking a little bit of shit behind people's back and so you combine those two you get this toxic garbage pile that is ransom that but is a ransom. super charming <laughs> toxic garbage super pile charming like amelia would make I, out. i'd probably make out with like i don't know look if you are, if anybody is trying to say that they would not make out with Chris Evans, that is a lie. You need to right. go to church and seek forgiveness from a priest <laughs> for lying. Cause I am sorry. There, there is absolutely, those are the people who are like, I hate puppies. Like absolutely not. If Chris Evans showed up on your doorstep, Captain America, long haired Captain America with the sleeves rolled up, Ransom Drizdell, whatever the hell you would make out with him. Everybody would make out with Chris Evans. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I get like Michael Shannon and Ricky Lindholm. Uh, they're, they're married. Oh, I forgot uh, about Ricky Lindholm. Yeah. She's, I love her every time I see her. It just, a weird, <laughs> what it's, I read, I read another thing where someone was like, Michael Shannon was consistently the funniest person on set. Like just, mm-hmm. I guess when uh, Chris Evans is doing the eat shit, eat shit, eat shit. I guess <laughs> Michael Shannon ad-libbed the line of, I will not eat one iota of shit. <laughs> um, which is just a great line. Yeah, everybody, everybody's great. Tony Collette is, oh God, when she like comes up to the room yeah. and she's like, I'm checking on you. And he's like, okay, I'm fine. And she's like, all right, I love, love you. you. Yeah. yeah, you're like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is weird. Um, yeah. yeah, everybody in it just top to bottom is is really great. And it was uh this was the first thing that I saw Ana de Armas in and uh have absolutely uh I think it's been still the only sense. It's the only thing I've seen her in so far, but just based on this performance, like you can just tell she's like she's a real powerhouse. Yeah. Actor. I did see like to hold to hold her own as well as she did with this cast, you know, and not no. just be swallowed by it. Exactly. Exactly. Like yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Hold on. I saw I did see a little bit of blonde. Yeah, I haven't watched that. I'm curious for her. Yeah, I'm curious for her performance. Most of what I know about the movie, I'm not all that interested. I watched a little bit of it, and then I was just like, this is a lot. And I... I actually don't really care about Marilyn Monroe that much. God, I had a I had a good comparison to it. It's it's not a it's not a biopic, guys. Like, no. don't watch it if you want to go and learn about Marilyn Monroe's life. Like it right. is, it's it's a fantasy, it is a fairy tale. You know, know that and 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 go with God. I mm. did hear, and I think this is when they were dating. She's in this movie. I think it's called Deep Water. Is that it? That she with, did with, with Ben, ben Affleck. Affleck yeah. yeah. And I had read something where it was just like she is so impossibly hot in that movie. I've everything. I've heard about that is it's just like a 
the horniest movie. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, the <horniest. laughs> I, I again haven't watched it yet. I'm not sure I want to see Ben Affleck in a horny movie. Like I, I'd watch her in a horny movie, but yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Hold on. Pause here because this episode will come out then. Um. Okay. Yeah. So I think right because this episode will come out this friday right right you can you can cut this out if you want to and then the next okay so i think i can say this guys i think we're gonna be taking a break between when this episode comes out and after the new year um because then we just get into weird holiday times and you know yeah and trips out of town and and yeah we, we need a break we need our break yeah, we need a little break. So you're going to get this episode and then, you know, we'll be back around like, uh, Jesus, we'll be back around January 6th. Um, <laughs> yep. With some good, we're, we, we'll come back with like some good, fun stuff. Uh, like, let's make 2024 good energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so we'll do that. So yeah, we we are gonna take a, a couple of weeks off. Did I say 2024? I just deleted an entire year from our existence. 2023. <laughs> that's what's yeah. I think you did. And I was like, yep, fast forwarding. I'm not being charged for that extra year. I will continue no. to be the age I currently am. Um yeah. yeah, so we're gonna do that. So have a wonderful couple of weeks off. I hope you guys enjoyed this weird episode. Our our movie episodes are, are a little weird, uh, yeah, but we hope you enjoyed it. Family, but yeah. Yes. Uh, have a happy holidays. This episode is coming out, should be coming out December 9th. That is also mm-hmm. opening night for the virtual ugly sweater review. Uh, so you can find out more information about that at dukecityrep.com. That's my theater company. And we do a super fun alternative holiday somewhat anti-holiday show (laughs) first weekend will be virtual december 9th and 10th second weekend the 15th through the 18th will be live and in person so if you're here in albuquerque head to that website get your tickets other than that Mm -hmm. stay weird stay curious and we'll see you in the new year bye bye Blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing 